Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here tonight. My name is James Martin and this is of course the very first, the inaugural Dentists Who Invest, Community Group for Dentists Who Enjoy Trading's podcast. And I didn't really expect to be sat here in any capacity in front of a computer at any point, but really I'm just so pleased that the group has just got to the level of what it is. I didn't expect the first thing when I set it up. Um, I've been on a few podcasts. I think they're an absolutely wonderful medium or a vehicle to explain and elaborate on certain topics. And I'm really, really happy to be able to be here and be able to do this for everybody tonight. And what I've managed to do, I've managed to procure someone who's quite well known in the dentistry world, or at least I knew of him. I think quite a few people have heard of him. He is the founder, the owner of Dental Property Club. He is... Formerly a dentist, or so he has just advised me, he now focuses fully on his business. So in that respect of capacity, I would say he might be living the dream for a lot of us dentists, I suppose. He's managed to get out, so hats off to the guy. He must really know what he's doing, is all I can say. His name, in case you haven't heard of him, his name is Harry Singh. Harry, how are you tonight? Welcome. Thank you, James. Welcome. Yeah, I'm living the life. You can see the background. I'm on the beach, on the sand. There's no lockdown over here. <laughs> so Harry is living it up in the Bahamas, in case you must have deduced that from the background. So he's doing pretty yeah. well for himself. Not over here in cold England during lockdown. No. Um, yeah, but uh, we're making the best. We're doing our best over here, Harry. That's all we can say. No, no, um, no, no. Anyway, I'm absolutely thrilled to have Harry on here tonight. He is, of course, a expert in the field of property. He was formerly a dentist. I thought it would be really interesting to have him on because we can chat, we can discuss, we can elaborate on something that I don't know really much about, but I know a lot of people that are interested in, and it does of course affect all of us at some stage in our life, because we all have to think about buying a house. So we're going to delve into that a little bit in future. So the first thing I wanted to ask, Harry, I just wanted to know a little bit about you because we know well, I know. I know the business. I know Harry Singh, Dental Property Club. I know uh, a little bit about what you offer. We're going to delve into that a little bit later. But I just wanted to know a little bit about your journey and maybe what made you think uh, I want to get out of dentistry or maybe it just happened organically. I just, I don't know. So I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Thank you again, James, for the invitation. Um, fantastic group. Um, so, yeah, I qualified as a dentist. Um, being um, from a typical Asian parents, I didn't really have much choice in my career. Back in the 1990s, my parents said to me, either become a doctor, dentist, accountant, pharmacist, something to do with medical. I was good at science, good with my hands. I went to the local library. Um, for those youngsters that don't know what a library is, is where you get the books. <laughs> there was no Google, there's no Google internet in those days. And I looked at careers and dentistry and spun to my mind. 
um, went to do some work experience with my local dentist, um, saw his watch, saw his car. I go, okay, that sounds good. I'll have some of that. And then um, did dentistry because I liked the business side. So I knew I wanted to do, own a business to some extent. And it was much harder being a doctor or optician in those days to do that. So dentistry, but then I knew early on that I didn't have the real passion for dentistry. And that's quite important, which we'll come on to later on, especially yeah. investment vehicles where um, you need to have a passion, what you're doing, vocation, but also what you're investing in as well because you look after it a lot more. Um, I don't regret getting into dentistry because it got me the skills, the experience, um, becoming a business owner, bought and sold a number of dental practices, made some fantastic contacts, networked a lot. Um, so I don't regret getting into dentistry, but it wasn't my true passion. And and we say to people, yeah, I'm not that obs- I gave up dentistry um, back in, so I qualified 96 from Leeds and, and I enjoyed it to some extent. So I was, I was a course junkie. I was doing all the courses. My dentistry was good. It was just the stress with timekeeping, patience, et cetera. And I said to many people, if um, dentistry was a bit like phantom head, patients could chop their head off, leave it in the surgery, come back at 5 p.m. to pick it up, I would, I would do that all day and the all night. part of what teeth is, they're attached to people. That's the That's attach, it. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I, I enjoyed the clinical side and the technical side, but it's, yeah, just dealing with patients that didn't really want to see you, you do your best work. And obviously with the GDC as the way it is, it's always on the patient side. Um, So I knew early on, and we always go back to a strong, compelling why. So I knew I wouldn't be doing dentistry for the next 20, 40 years Mm. there. Um, So I go, okay, I needed some alternative source of income. And I looked at property because I remember when I was about 14, 15 used to do a newspaper round and one of the guys I did a newspaper round for um he wasn't there on um a Sunday he he left me a note on the door say keep the newspaper so it's a Sunday Times and if you've ever read the Sunday Times it's quite a big chunk so I I think I killed my back carrying it back home (laughs) and luckily on that week was the Sunday Times rich list so I looked at all the people there's a top 100 people in the UK and I looked at it and 80 percent of people on that Um, top 100 list either made their money directly from property or they had made their money from business and invested the profits from into property so I'm always a big believer copy what other people do learn from them so I thought okay that's gonna be my weapon of choice vehicle that I'm going to invest in so I just started educating myself in property and it was quite funny in the so I started at qualified 96 98 99 started going to um property workshops property courses and it was quite funny because you get to network with people and they say what do you do and most of them were it consultants or unemployed etc that's why they want to get into property when um i said i was a dentist they were quite shocked that a dentist was actually at the course we could go you make good money why are you here i go yeah i make good money while i'm working but when i'm not working um i'm losing money i'm not making the best use of money so that's why I wanted that income stream. And as we mentioned before, we started recording during the first lockdown. By the time this recording comes, that might be on our fifth lockdown by then. So on oh, the first man. lockdown, yeah, the we... Way things are at the minute, yeah. who knows, yeah. 
Yeah, especially with that, it doesn't make sense with the furlough being extended until March, but then Boyd Johnson saying the lockdown's only until December. So those those <laughs> yeah, two don't add suspicious up. Suspicious that, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got, yeah, we need to. Um, yeah, well, I didn't even really take the, the the possibility that lockdown two would happen seriously. I just thought we'd. Yeah, it, it seemed rather simple in my head that once we had one, it would be over and done with. But I don't know. It seems a bit silly looking back, but here we are. Yeah, people don't listen or people don't follow. Um, yeah, so yeah, during lockdown one, we had so many inquiries for the dental property club. Um, I've always been telling people, okay, you need to have a backup plan because when you're earning, if you're earning good money, it's good. It's not going to last forever. You may become ill. I wasn't expecting COVID to come along. Um, you may not be able to work. Um, something may happen to your practice. What are you going to do with your income then? And we had a lot of dentists saying, okay, it's never going to happen to me because you never think it's going to happen to you. And then with this lockdown, number one, dentists couldn't, most of the dentists couldn't work and their income dropped dramatically. And then and it, you've probably seen yourself with your Facebook group, people were looking at alternative sources, yeah. not of income, because um, I always look at investment as making your money from business, your vocation, and then investing those profits in um, investment vehicles, whether it's shares, stocks or property. Mm. Very few people make their money from the stock market, Forex or property, as a business yeah so it's yeah making money making your money working harder not actually making money as your primary vocation well yeah i mean it's part of this wider sort of theme that my group touches on quite a lot which is just as you say making your money work for yourself and i think for me what shattered the illusion of just how much well how much we almost miss out by just keeping our money in the bank I mean, the rate yeah. that inflation that is normally at is normally about 6 or 7%. And to think that you're losing 6 or 7% of the hours or effort that you're putting in any year is just ludicrous yeah. to me. So you'll be, you'll be coming from an addict from the point of view of houses, um, diversifying, diversifying into property. And this is why I thought it would be really interesting. And you're quite right. Just another thing that you touched upon there, uh, this whole COVID, um, you know, kind of, this, this new paradigm or how the world is going to be going forwards. We don't know when we're actually going to get a vaccine for COVID. And yeah. yeah, I just think it's really important to think about these things. And as you say, just make your money work for you. But you'll go into yeah. more detail in just a moment about how to do that with houses. I'm actually really curious to hear because I don't know the first thing about houses. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I really honestly don't know the first thing. I know what stamp duty is, I think yeah. anyway. Maybe you'll correct me later. Um, and that's who this podcast is really aimed at is just people that like myself they're very much beginners they want to foray into the housing world but yeah yeah we'll definitely come on, we'll yeah. come to that in just a moment so harry in my group i touch upon stocks i talk touch upon gold we touch upon diversifying why do you think that property is a useful method of diversifying your portfolio what does property offer that other asset classes may not necessarily offer Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes 
the dentists make whenever it comes to their finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistryinvest.com forward slash podcast report, or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah, excellent question there. So I always say, obviously, start with your why. Why do you want to invest in property? But what I see my advantage is with property is an asset. So an asset is something that appreciates in value. Um, it's not going to go up every year. You're going to have peaks and troughs, but the up the trend is always upwards. Because we live in the island, there's restricted space on how many properties we can build. And on average, year on year, we have a net immigration of 250,000 people. And the maximum number of houses we've ever built in any particular year is 100,000. And that's the best year. So there's always going to be a shortage. Demand um, is going to outstrip supply. So long-term is going to appreciate in value. The second reason is leverage, which is the main reason I invest in properties. So you can put a small percentage into the property, but you benefit 100% from the uplift. So let's say you've got £100,000. You could buy a property, let's say, worth 500000 because you could put 20% deposit. The bank would give you the remaining amount because they know it's an asset. But if you want to invest in, say, half a million pounds worth of shares, you cannot go to a bank and say, I've got 100000 Can you give me 400000 to invest in shares? They'll probably lock you up or throw you out the bank. So that's the beauty there. So if the property goes up in value, you benefit 100%, but you've put a smaller amount of money in. The third reason is where people get really confused is good debt versus bad debt. So if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, then you know bad debt, you want to clear as quick as possible. That's personal credit card, um, car finance, etc. It's coming out your own pocket and it's on a liability. Good debt is on an asset that you don't pay yourself. So we're going to be getting tenants that pay us rent, which covers the mortgage, the bills, utilities, and then we have excess money coming in after all those costs. So with good debt, you can leverage your money based on appreciating asset, but it doesn't come out of your own pocket. And then the fourth is deposits. So this is a downside with property. So unlike shares or stocks, you cannot get in for a few hundred pounds. You do need a few thousand pounds, which is what I thought, because when I first invested in property, I thought these guys that got 30, 50 properties, they must have millions in the bank. But it's um, one of my mentors said to me early on, you make your money when you buy, not when you sell. So what we can do is recycle our deposit or there's certain strategies where you don't need deposit. So a lot of people do think you need a lot of money to get into property. Yeah, the more money you have, the better um, deals you can do, um, the better rates you get but you can start off with a lot less money than people think. So it's an asset. You can use the benefit of leverage. It's good debt. And there's a way of getting away with minimal deposits or no deposits at all. Wow. Okay. So we got some decent compelling reasons there and a few things that I didn't necessarily know as well. Um, what was I going to say? When you, when you talked about the very minimum, am I right in saying that it's 5% you can 
bring to the table nowadays? Five percent of the value of the house, or is it ten percent? Is it still ten? Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say yeah. So there's buy to let and residential. So residential, you may be able to get away with five or ten percent. Buy to let, you're looking more at fifteen to twenty percent deposits. Oh, I see. I didn't even know there was a difference. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah. So you get out there. They're five percent. Yeah. Yeah. You can get. Um, I'll say the lo- the lowest you could put in a buy to let would be fifteen percent. Well, I don't recommend fifteen percent because there's less lenders than their interest rates are quite high. So we normally say minimum twenty percent of loan to value, and then you'll get access to more lenders that will give you better deals and there's a more cushion as well because you don't want to over leverage. Leverage is good, but you don't want to over leverage in case there's a downturn or interest rates go up and you can't um, your rent doesn't cover the mortgage. Right. Yeah, of course. And that comes back to now, again, I'm coming at it from the point of view of a total novice here. I hope this is <laughs> a benefit to people listening. Um, the mortgages that you can get, you can, uh, am I right in saying there's, there's a tracker mortgage and then there's also a type of mortgage that the, the, the interest doesn't vary. Uh, so those are also things that you would talk someone through on your course. Am I, is my understanding of it correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, the, yeah. yeah, there's two variations in mortgages. The first one, as you said, will be a fixed rate or a tracker rate. So a fixed rate, you pay the same interest for three to five years, whatever the period is. The tracker obviously follows the base rate. But the other point with mortgages as well is interest only and capital. Mm-hmm. So with your buy-to-let properties, you have two choices. You can get interest only mortgages where you're just paying the interest off or you can get capital and interest where you're paying the capital in the interest. Um, it all depends on your strategy. So if your strategy is to get maximum cash flow, you want an interest-only mortgage. If your strategy is to get a better pension part, a lump sum at the end, then you'd want interest and capital repayment. Right, I see. So this is the nuance that I was sort of unaware of, but okay, interesting to learn. One thing I wanted to ask, Harry, Help to buy axes and lices. We're fed this narrative that we should save, we should put money into those. Is that what you would suggest? Or do you think that there is a better way of maybe undertaking that? I know that the benefits of what they offer, should you have some money in, is 25%. So that's a fair old whack of money towards a house, you know what I mean? Particularly if you're saving short term versus yes. other investments. What's your take on the, on the subject? Yeah, and it was funny, during the first lockdown, I ran an online program. We had a couple of young dentists, just like yourself, and they were asking exactly the same question. And I never heard about it, so I did my own research. But no, it's actually a fantastic scheme, and I would encourage people to um, take maximum advantage of it. So any government assistance you can get, then I would definitely recommend to go for it. Yeah, they look good on paper, I have to say, 25%. Wow. Over a short period, a guarantee over a short period of time. It's hard to beat that in terms of Yeah, definitely. Um, right, where were we? So the next thing I wanted to ask, oh yes, so the other thing I wanted to ask, when you have a property and you think to yourself, wow, this is a golden, this is a cash cow, wow, sign me up, where, <laughs> where do I buy? Or you you get what, you, you have another property and it's at the other end of the scale and you think, well, I need to steer clear of this for whatever reason. What are your succinct, I suppose, list or common pitfalls of things that people should watch out for when they're buying a house. There's there's going to be like a little there's going to be a list of completely obvious greenhorn mistakes that probably people like myself will make all the time and 
I'm sure from people such as yourself, it'll draw a sort of eye roll um, kind of, uh, you know, expression on your face. I don't really know, <laughs> but I just wanted to know what those are and what we should watch out for. Um, so no, don't worry. Everyone makes mistakes. I've probably made more mistakes in property than ev- all your viewers put together. I remember my first house I bought, I was so eager to get the deal done. My surveyor comes in and said, do you realize there's no front, there's no doors or radiators in any of the rooms? which obviously I completely missed out there. <laughs> there. So the first thing I would always say is take emotion out of it. So this is not a residential purchase. You are not going to live there yourself. So I've spoken to many dentists that bought penthouses in town centres and it's the worst returns you can ever get. I go, why do you buy that? And they say, because I like to live there myself. And I go, you're not living there. A tenant's going to live there. So if you look at my houses, for most dentists, they wouldn't want to live there. It's normally two-stroke, three-bedroom terrace houses. So take your emotion out of it. Number two, don't rush into your first deal because people are so eager to do a deal, they'll just pay over the top, especially at this particular period of time where we've got the stamp duty exemption, people are just paying stupid money, and it's going over market value. Um, And then my main strategy is, obviously, one is look at your strategy. Are you buying it for capital gain or cash flow? So a lot of dentists say, I want to um, reduce my commitment to dentistry. I'm going to say, okay, you need maximum cash flow. So you might need to invest in the Midlands or further north, or maybe do a HMO where you rent each the room by room in the house. If you're after a better pension pot, then you're going to be investing maybe in London, the southeast, where historically you get a better capital growth. So know why you're investing in the property. As I mentioned, look at the area. You want good um, amenities, good transport links. So what I do in my course, we do a gross yield figure. So the gross yield is the annual rent divided by the market value. And we want that to be above 6%. So the annual rent divided by the market value, we want that to be above 6%. Anything above 6%, that will show you is a high demand from tenants. Because once you've got the property, maybe a fantastic deal, maybe in the middle of nowhere in the sticks if no one's going to rent it you're going to be paying the mortgage out your own pocket so if you've got a gross yield of above six percent you know there's going to be a big tenant demand you're going to get that easily rented and minimize the voids there and then as i said alluded to earlier you make your money when you buy not when you sell so we look for motivated or distressed sellers where they need to sell quite quickly and in that way, we can buy at discount and recycle our money much quicker. There. So don't rush into your first deal. Don't buy an emotion. You are not living there. See what the tenants want. Because if it's in a city center, it may be more flats, apartments, young people that want to live city living. If it's in a um, school commute area, it's going to be more two, three bedroom houses. There. Um, look at your area. Look at the price you're paying and look at what you're doing it for, cash flow, capital gain. Have spreadsheets. And what I do is a simple equation. Just look at a spreadsheet, do your figures. Does it stack up? Take the emotion out of it. And is it a good deal or not a good deal? It's interesting to hear you say that people also make bad decisions in purchasing houses on based on emotion because that's one yeah. of the golden rules of general investing. I suppose I just never really thought of houses in those terms as well, but it's interesting that it also applies. I guess we're all just people, and no matter what we do, no matter where we're putting our money, we can't. Yeah, it's like emotion. Yeah, yeah. It's emotion. Our judgment, you know what I mean? And, they, and yeah, they decorate the place like they're going to live in themselves. I remember I, I did, I tried Forex for a couple of years, and I'm, 
I just I like action, quick results, and I wasn't a patient guy. So poker and forex were not for me. So because <laughs> the wrong yeah, mindset. Yeah. Forex is not actually. Do you know what forex is one of the assets that you can trade most frequently as yeah. well in my experience. So if you were if that wasn't enough action for you, I think maybe those other sorts <laughs> of investing mightn't be for you either. Because I know I put money in crypto and yeah. you'll probably go for about two months where you won't make a trade. And then all of a sudden it's like bang, bang, bang. But it's actually a skill in itself to wait until the right time to yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. And there will be there is such a thing as over trading. And those are the people that get um impatient and they kind of they they want something to happen so they turn up with their computer screen and they wind up blowing all their money that's me um, <laughs> got you right yeah so forex you can do i believe it's better to do it on certain days than others it's all about watching the sessions so so i used to trade it a little bit so when london um opens the stock exchange opens yeah, the market yeah. will move in certain ways on certain pairs so it's an interesting one. That's my understanding of it anyway. But yeah. anywho, I think what I'm getting from you is that if you're going to do it, if you're going to invest in property, there's a lot of nuance to it. You really, really need to know what you're doing. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, you've got to treat it like a business, like your dental yeah. business it is a business. Yeah, so fair enough. There's a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of know-how. There's a lot of skill, I suppose, in a way. In your business, Dental Property Club, how do you assist dentists to buy to get into property? Is it you purely is it purely an educational course or is there some sort of mentorship capacity offered to them in a degree where you'll come and I don't know, explore looking at houses together? I, I really I'd love to hear. Yeah. So yeah, so as I said earlier, I gave up dentistry in 2012 and my intention was just to carry on property investing. Um, on my own, then a lot of dent because not many dentists were giving up dentistry in 2012. So the first reaction I had from most dentists were, "Did you get struck off?" I go, "No, no, don't worry, I haven't been struck off. I'm I'm still on the register. This is my GVC number." So then they said, "Okay, how did you give up dentistry?" And I said, "Because of property." And they go, "Oh, you never told us you were into property." I go, "There was no reason to tell you. Can you teach us?" So that's where Dental Property Club was formed in 2012, mainly educational workshops. Because I thought everyone was going to be like me. Because I had a strong, compelling why that I wanted to get out of dentistry. That's why I implemented. But then what I found after a couple of years, the people that came in the course said, yeah, it was good content, learned a lot. After two years, they never imp implemented anything. And I said, why? They go, okay, um, we haven't got the time. We haven't got the network. We don't trust the builders. We're too busy with dentistry. So then we created two arms of the Dental Property Club. So we've got the educational workshops which range from online programs to two-day workshops to mastermind mentoring. So those are for people that um, want to do property deals themselves. I give them all the resources, the materials, the templates, the spreadsheets, and they can go out and do it themselves. Then we created the second arm about a couple of years ago, the joint venture opportunities. So a lot of dentists said to me, um, we've got the money. The cash rich time poor. We want to invest in property, but we haven't got the time to do it or the experience. Can we give you the money? So I took all their money, and that's why I'm in the Bahamas now. So no, <laughs> only, no, let's so, cut the interview right there. Whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah, whoa. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, because we've got the opportunities, we've got the network, we know the deal sources. We got so many opportunities presented to us on a monthly basis that I cannot physically do all the deals myself. 
So I'd rather have a um, smaller split of a bigger pie than a bigger split of a very small pie. So that's where the joint venture opportunities came along. So a dentist, happy with dentistry, don't want to give up dentistry, but want to make better use of their money. Uh, we uh, are regulated. It's all due diligence. We present deals. And if they want to invest, they can invest in our deals. Interesting. So there's a variety of things, I suppose, there really yeah. you, you'll assist dentists with. So it's right from the, the fundamentals, just the education, right up to if they did want to take the plunge, you'll be there by their side. Yeah, yeah. I've grasped, grasped that correctly, haven't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Thumbs up, <laughs> smashing. Cool. I was browsing on your website earlier, Harry, and I um, came across something. It was a little. It was an acronym, I suppose, or a method that you use to invest. I'm. I'm just looking. I don't. Hope you don't think I'm being rude. I'm just going to read it off here. I just. It's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. There's a few letters. Um, passive income, investment income, savings, and the simplify formula. And am I right in saying that's your philosophy on investing or yeah yeah or so i gathered from the website anyway what is what is that yeah definitely and I, I got taught by this in america by a billionaire in terms of um how the wealthy make their money but also keep more their money because the actual easy part is making the money well easier is how much money you keep so the first two is passive income and investment income so you need a combination of both. And the, one of the biggest mistakes property investors make, and I made it, is every property deal I did, I kept. And you've got to be like a football manager. Some of them are good players, some of them are bad players. You've got to get rid of the bad players, substitute them with good players. So you need a combination of passive income where you've got properties that you let out. They work at the background, giving you a good couple of hundred, three hundred quid a month. But obviously, you're not going to become financially free straight away. So what you need is some investment income where you make a capital gain. So you are going to be doing some buying and selling, whether it's houses, stock shares, trading, where you make a capital gain, but you can reinvest that money. So you do need the passive income, which is, I say, slow and boring, like the marathon. You will become wealthy, but it's long-term wealth. And investment income, which is much shorter, a bit like a trader. You could have the day trader and the long-term trader. There, so you need a combination of both. But I said, that's how you make the money. And then the hardest part, especially for dentists, I find, is how much money they keep. So the two S's stand for savings and simplify. So the savings, I divide my money into six jars before I spend a single penny. So at the end of each month, doesn't matter where the income's coming from, I would divide it into six jars. The first jar is my essential jar. And that's for my living expenses, mortgage, car payments, utilities, petrol, no more than 55% um, of your um, monthly income should go on living expenses. There's a book called The Millionaire Next Door. And most millions in America have quite modest lifestyles. They live beyond their, uh, below their means. So no more than 55% of your monthly income should go on living expenses. Then I have 5% I'll give away to charity. No matter how much we complain, someone else has always got a worse life than you. And one of my mentors said to me, your problems are someone else's dreams. So we've got 55% living expenses, 5% for charity. Then we've got four jars left, which are 10% each. So the first one is savings. So for a raining day, if we have another COVID lockdown, et cetera, to um, pay my bills. Then we have 10% for investment. So 10% of my monthly income always goes to investment. 
10% into personal development because you can only grow to the extent you grow. So I'm a big believer in personal development courses, mm-hmm. workshops, books, yeah. education. And then the final 10% is enjoyment, fun. It's no use working hard, saving all your money. Because I learned that from my parents. My parents um, were working two jobs and they saved every single penny. They didn't spend it at all, hardly enjoyed their life. And they regretted it now. So 55% living expenses, 5% charity, 10% personal development, 10% enjoyment, 10% savings, 10% investment. I really like that. I really like yeah. the way the actually living your life is accounted for in there. And there's been times yeah. in my life where I look back and yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly long in the tooth, you know, I, was, <laughs> I don't think I'm that old, but no. I've got the life ba- work-life balance all wrong. And I had to do that before I learned my lesson. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, having a structure like that, something that you can adhere to where you know what your budget is, you don't go over it. And if you, you're quite right, living a modest lifestyle is beneficial for any sort of investment, particularly if you want, unless you're making mega bucks, but those lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not, that's certainly not me anyway. Um, You know what I mean? So if you have a structure or if you have a plan, it's just about saving consistently. And I think that it sounds like you've accounted for that in your philosophy i suppose yeah yeah and i remember when i qualified straight after vt i went straight i lived back at home had a really simple car and it's quite funny people were laughing at me and now they're not laughing at me now because <laughs> you've got to make sacrifices and then you know, going back to that book um the millionaire next door they did an experiment where they you know invited these millionaires for lunch on the one side they had caviar the best steak etc champagne either side they had normal burgers chips and most of the millionaires went to the side where there was burgers and chips because that's what they were used to yeah really? that's how they made their money yeah yeah i'd believe that you know because it's actually i've read i've got all these i've got the books in front of me i've probably read about five to five books on yeah. long-term investing and every single there's certain kind of common ground between them all yeah. and that is the first thing they mention in every single one and there is a, how can I say, like a perception that because you earn more, you maybe have to spend more, yeah, which yeah. You, can, you can do, okay. But rare is the person who doesn't have some sort of limits on that, who actually becomes wealthy later in yeah. life. And I think that that's just a really important message and a really healthy thing to encourage and invest in. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Because once you upgrade your lifestyle, you never want to go down. You always want a bigger house, better car. That's it. Well, that's the trouble because it's a black hole as well. And yeah. unless unless you're literally a billionaire, where you can't, you know, there is no limit to what you can buy. Um, yeah. You can always find something to chuck your money at. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And um, yeah, that's definitely something that I am. Um, uh, I'm becoming a little bit more savvy too now, you know, as the years go by, as I said. Yeah. But not that I've ever been really careless with my money, but I'm definitely a bit more of a tight-fisted, a bit more of a miser these days. But okay. <laughs> I'm not is that the Scot? Is that the Scot in you? <laughs> the Scot? Oh, Northern Irish, uh, but close to Northern Irish. Yeah, yeah. Northern Irish. Northern <laughs> Irish. Um, Northern Irish are notorious for spending all their money. I know, yeah. Every time I go to Belfast, they're so generous. Yeah, exactly. Um, they like a drink out there, so uh, yeah. <laughs> they spend a lot of their money on that. So I, um, I try to behave myself. Harry, you mentioned earlier, you were talking a little bit about cash flow. And I'm just 
checking over here the terms that we use because I wrote them down. Cash flow or capital appreciation. So these yeah. are two things that you're conscious of when you're buying houses. And I'm gonna very I'm gonna do my very best to give you give the layman's definition of what <laughs> I believe those to be. But feel free, yeah. this is the uneducated person's sort of understanding of what they may be. Now you may you may change this, you may disagree, that's fair enough. So we've got cash flow, so that'll be your yield. That'll yeah. be the properties that you buy. And yeah, you've got one eye on the price, but the main thing you're thinking about is what's gonna be my return at the end of the year. How much money can I make from rental and things like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And then Perfect. the other one, capital appreciation. That's just where you're looking at an area, you think it's up and coming, they're building a new road, they're building HS2, you think the house is going to go up in value. Have I grasped those correctly? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Oh, smashing. perfect. And that's where a lot of dentists come up to me and say, so they invest in the north or the south. And I go, there is no right answer. It depends on your strategy, what you want property to give you. Mm. If it's cash flow, more Midlands up north because you get better yields, but you don't nice. get as much capital appreciation. If it's for capital appreciation or better pension pot down in the south. Interesting. So even at this point, even though London has been sort of a bubble for however long now, I mean, that's very much my from the outside looking in knowledge of property. I always know that people who buy houses in London, they went up exponentially in value over the previous few years, previous few decades. And you believe that that trend is going to continue even now? Yeah, London is a strange market because, it's, as you say, it's its own bubble. It's not dictated by UK residents. It's more foreign overseas investors. Um, and what the government have done is made it harder for overseas investors to have the tax perks. There, there, was, there were favourable stamp duty capital gains tax for foreign investors, which have been clamped down on. So, and I, yeah, central London is more riskier um but no one knows the trend so we go more to outskirts and what i've been founding red um lockdown people want a garden so they're going for more the outskirts like wilburton where it's much more greener much more space or they have a garden um we may still have foreign investors parking because london is a safe haven so a lot of investors from overseas will buy the knightsbridge chelsea houses or flats leave them empty but it's nice regulated and know they can park their money and um, get the money out when they need it so yeah yeah central london is a strange one um more for the experienced investor if you're completely new i wouldn't recommend to invest in central london straight away but once you know the areas nuances then it may be a good bet interesting so there's no sign of that trend abating anytime soon this is now some of the London properties we've been looking at just going back 10 15 percent above market value because people still want to buy in Whoa, central London. That is crazy! Wow, interesting, yeah. fair enough. And um, the north of England, is there any particular what do you think of Leeds? I'm based in Leeds, and I hear there's a lot of uh whispers and kind of old wives' tales that HS2 is going to make Leeds property go through the roof. So I've been thinking about buying in Leeds. Is that wrong? Is that a silly thing to think? Yeah, if I had that pound for every time someone said the next golden hotspot, I'd be I'd be linear. <laughs> no, I like this is over actually. We can have a little chat, me and you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I like Leeds because I qualified from Leeds, but now by the time it gets by the time the general public know about something, it's gonna be an affluent area. It's too late, you've missed the boat. Because right, okay. the deal would have done 
with the properties that would have been done a year ago and there's all the inflated prices. Mm. Um, so I'll say go back to the basics, make sure it's good yield, good quality property, and look at the long term. But yeah, don't second guess. I know people bought in certain areas because of HS2, um, the Olympics, etc. And they, if you bought early enough where people didn't know about those areas, you would have been quids in. But once the general public know, you probably missed the boat. Actually, that's, you know what, that's another thing that applies to general investing, another parallel that I suppose yeah. I've never really considered. When you have something that's in a bubble, there's only so much, if there's a saying on Wall Street, if your taxi driver starts talking about an investment, it's time to get out of that investment, it's time to sell up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's only so much money that can go into it. And when something's suspended up here, if we go to Bitcoin in 20, I don't know whether you follow Bitcoin in crypto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A little bit. So um, at the end of 2017, 17th of December, it hit its all-time high, $20,000. People were talking about it. It was on the news. And you yeah. don't even need to know the first thing about investing to know that that's a red flag, you know, because it's, it's common. People are talking about it everywhere. There's only so much money that can go in. And when people, yeah, when there's yeah. not enough pressure pushing it up, it just falls under its own weight. And that's pretty much what happened, you know. It's not always as simple as that, but it's definitely a huge red flag. So houses are similar, really. Yeah, de- yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, when someone, wow. say, as you say, when the general public know about it, it's too late. <laughs> I saw a house in Burnley for £22,000 the other day. Surely it can't get any cheaper. Maybe that's, is that a good investment? Um, depends if you can rent it. Because I, I, I'm a big Liverpool fan and there's houses around Anfield that have been boarded up for years that you could probably buy for fifteen grand, but no one wants to live there. Around Anfield? I so, would have thought that would have been hot property. So some areas are, but some of the ones really close are quite a bad area. So right, you, okay, so, yeah. So you always got to look. Yeah, the price may be low, but can you rent it out? Who right. wants to live there? Cheap for a reason, then. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Right. Anyway, so oh yes, this is this was a question I got requested. Now, what we're going to do at the end, Harry, if you've uh, if we've still got time, we're going to freestyle a little bit because we've got some okay. questions on the group. Um, which if you're comfortable answering those, we'll come to those in just a minute. Yeah, yeah. But I've got one question. This is, I'm going to take full credit for this one. It's <laughs> it, that, it, and that's not in a positive sense either. I think you probably get asked this about a hundred times a day. I'm sorry in advance. Is now mm. a good time to buy in the UK housing market? Okay. The best time to buy would have been 30 years ago. The second best time to buy is now. So because... Really? Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Is that the <laughs> I got you. Yeah, no. I thought you meant specifically no. That's just the saying, is it? Yeah. yeah. So um, I would sort of say it's a long... People um, want to buy their own house, want to live in their own house. Also, as I said, because of restricted space, um, planning is quite strict. They have relaxed some regulation with planning. It's still a ball leg to get planning de- development through the count- local council. So I'll say it's a long term, yeah, slow and steady. It's not going to. I always say to people, property is not get rich quick scheme. It's get very rich, very long term scheme. Okay. So if you're in it for the long term, you will make it work there. Because I guarantee, if you come back in 20, 30 years, we listen to this podcast. People say, "I wish I invested in 2020 or 2021." There. So yeah, no one knows what's around the corner, but people need houses to live in, whether to buy themselves or to rent. We're getting more fragmented families, more divorces. Younger people leaving their parents a lot quicker, a lot sooner. So 
yeah, obviously I'm a bit biased because that is my focus, but mm. I will still say, yeah, it property is a good time. It's a good time now to yeah. invest. So there's a lot of factors, I suppose, that are unique to the UK market is what I'm gathering yeah. from what you're saying that mean that it's a good or it's a viable long-term investment, you know, and it doesn't look like that's going to change. Yeah, yeah, because you always want to have two exit strategies for property. So your aim, main aim may be to be renting it out. If you can't rent it, can you sell that property quite quickly? So I said, there's always going to be buyers, there's all going to be tenants, etc. So no, yeah. I'm saying, yeah, go for it. Interesting. And what do you think about stamp duty and its sort of, well, its absence at the minute? And when do you think it might return to, uh, well, to paralyze the UK housing market? Because I I don't know if there's going to be too much, you know, when we're into the the very near future, um, that's obviously, you know, at the minute, because credit is, uh, well, because of how the coronavirus situation is, there's not, as much money about as there is traditionally do you think that that's going to return soon is my first question and do you think that that's going to have a major effect when it does return yeah so we think the government's stupid they may look a bit stupid but they are quite clever in certain instances so when they announced uh they knew the property was going to crash because obviously people losing their jobs can't keep up mortgages so they wanted to give an artificial inflation to the property market and that's where they made the stamp duty exemption. And it's a bit like what they did. They gave the property market a can of Red Bull. So they inflated the market for the short term. Um, obviously, they need to get, they are, they've been giving away all these grants, loans, furlough payments. They need to get their money back. So I expect stamp duty exemption to end as soon when it's, I think it's January the 31st, is it? That they, oh, is, oh, is there actually a, a hard limit on it then? They've actually, yeah, so oh, they, I beg your pardon, right. Showing my lack of knowledge there about houses. Yeah, so I'm I'm sure it will go back to normal the stamp duty because they need that tax there. Yeah. Um, and then what will happen? Because yeah, the property market, as you said, credit is so low in terms of interest rates. The property market's been booming, so I do think there's going to be a correction in the market. Yeah. Um, we, we're not in a financial recession, obviously. Where it's because of a health related recession. But there will be, I don't think it'll be a major crash, but there will be a slump in the property market as stamp duty exemption goes, interest rates go up. And the other thing that they are risking on the quietest capital gains tax. So when you sell a property, you pay capital gains tax. And it was normally at the end of the tax year. But from anything you sell from April this year onwards, you had to pay the capital gains tax within 30 days, which a lot of people didn't know about or they introduced. So that indication gives you they're going to increase the tax. They want their money as quick as possible. So the stamp duty exemption will end quite soon and there will be a slump in the property market. I see. I see. So when you say they'll increase the tax, you think that it'll return and they'll also, you know, make the tax more of a proportion of what you buy in terms of a percentage? Yeah, it may not necessarily be stamp duty, but other taxes. So you know where oh, I said... I, oh, I thought yeah, you yeah. stamp duty specifically. Right. Yeah. yeah. So... I think stamp duty is quite high, especially for second-time buyers. Yeah. Um, but other taxes, uh, I'm forecasting, you know, where my savings jar, I'm forecast, I'm putting 50% away each month for tax because right. I, I expect there's only one way tax is going to go. They've got to get the money somehow. Yeah, I do agree that they pro- they'll in all likelihood increase it after this is all hopefully over. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much a given really at this point, isn't it? I should think so. 
Is yeah, yeah, they got ways a government yeah. can make money. They can either make it through printing money, yeah. which they're doing a lot of at the minute, or they can do it through increasing tax. So when all the financial levers are, you know, they've pulled because they're all. We saw the other day. What did I see the other day? Was it 150 billion of printed currency? Bob. The Bank of England are releasing over the next. Yeah, yeah. So they can only do that for so long before inflation yeah, yeah. goes through the roof. So this will That's be it. their second means. Yeah. They'll give with one hand and take back with two hands. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's the trouble. I mean, not to get too in, too deep into conspiracy theories and things like that, but when they print money, inflation is actually a hidden tax on you yeah. because it takes money from our bank account that we don't know about otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And it's just another way for a, gen, a government to generate money. But yeah, yeah, yeah as yeah. I say, we'll not get too deep into yeah, the conspiracy <laughs> aspect of it or anything of that nature. This is something I'm familiar with and maybe something you've heard of as well. There's the financial economy and the real economy. So when the government creates money in the bank, because they sell it to other banks by issuing bond, who buy their bonds, yeah, yeah. what they tend to do is they invest it into financial apparatus such as stocks, such as houses, such as commodities and bonds for other companies. And a grossly disproportionate amount of that winds up in the housing sector and this is why we see houses shoot up in value greater than, well, as a proportion to relative to the rest of the economy. So you say you go to the shop and you've got your chocolate bar and things like yeah. that. Maybe it goes up by like what whatever inflation is, like 5 6% actual inflation. Yeah. But the housing market is far beyond that. That's because a disproportionate amount of this printed money winds up in the financial economy and houses and things of that nature. Is that something you've come across or is that something you teach on your course? No, yeah, I've come across it. I don't teach it um, on the workshops, but yeah, I do that. Big, and also because you've got the big pension providers getting into property um, and it always makes me laugh when financial advisors come and say to me, oh, we don't encourage our um, clients to invest in property. We say to invest in a pension, I go, well, half those pension funds invest 80% of your client's money in property anyway. So you're really? indirectly. I didn't know it was that much. Wow. Yeah. You indirectly So yeah, cause I've been to auctions and the way I found out 10, 12 years ago, I went to an auction. There was a guy in a three piece suit at the, what the fund, he must've bought about 20 million pounds worth of property. So I go, God, this guy, I'm, I need to meet him. So I said, okay, how come you bought so much? Where do you get the money from? He goes, no, I think it was a Aviva Life pension fund he was working for. Wow. Yeah. So this is why property prices go through the roof because they're being actively bought by pensions. It's, There's all this I, demand beyond yeah. people in the housing market. And that actually is another reason why stocks tend to go up historically. Yeah. Because when, when you buy yourself a stock or when you buy yourself a house, you're effectively hijacking this vehicle that someone else is using to generate a profit for their long-term hedge fund and things like yeah, that. Yeah. So they're artificially pushing the price up, essentially, and you can yeah. own your part of that via through houses, via through stocks, things like that. But if you want houses, yeah. Harry is, of course, your man. And there's <laughs> lots of reasons why, as Harry's just touched upon, that he believes housing, getting be, being diversified and having some money in housing is definitely a good idea. And also, yeah, follow other strategies as well in terms of, obviously, I would say become a master of one. Then once you've made your money there, continue with that, but then diversify. So I'm always looking for other opportunities in terms of um, 
that's why I looked at forex trading, but it wasn't for me. And looking at other stuff, but yeah, people do watches, wine, you name it. Yeah, of course, diversify, diversify, diversify. It's the only free strong, free lunch on Wall Street. They say that's what yeah, yeah. That I've heard. <laughs> Right, smashing. Well, thank you so much so far, Harry. I think what you've said has been really informative. Certainly lots of things that I didn't know about houses, but I'm a self-confessed total rookie when it comes <laughs> to the subject. I'm totally unknowledgeable, ill-knowledgeable. I don't know what the adjective, adjective is, but I certainly don't know the first thing. So I hope everybody's learned loads from that. Harry, of course, has been doing this for a long time, so he really knows what he's talking about. What I'm going to do, Harry, if it's all right with you, we're going to freestyle a little bit. We're going to freestyle yep. a little bit. So what I mean by that is we've got some questions I posted on the group earlier, a little promo post, uh, just to let people know we're doing this podcast tonight. And I asked on the group, I asked on the post, I said, has anybody got any burning questions that they would love to ask Harry? And a few people have piped up with a few okay. uh, interesting questions, which I thought were quite good. So Harry hasn't, Harry hasn't seen these before. We're just going to freestyle a little bit, but they're, uh, they're pretty, and they're pretty good. I think people will get some value from them. So jazz needs, Jazz Neat, I've been on his podcast for top guy. Jazz Neat has asked, have after taxes, solicitor fees, tenant he headaches and opportunity costs, is real estate still superior to stocks and shares? Yeah, so um, was it tax? So, see, so yeah, everyone looks at the worst case scenario, so tenant problems. So as I said, if you go for an area of gross yield of 6%, you know there's going to be more tenants than properties because that's why it's got a 6% gross yield. Then you could pick the cream or the top top of the tenants um, to get the best tenants at your property. So over 20 years um, investing property, I've only had two evictions out of all that time because I've got good quality properties and we pick good quality tenants. And we always use letting agents because they can vet the tenants properly. Um, I mean, the other one was tax. Yeah, depending on how – there has been obviously some tax um, penalties read – um, mortgage interest, but if you buy under a limited company, you can still claim the mortgage tax relief. So before, if you have a mortgage of say five hundred pounds and the rent was nine hundred, your profit was four hundred, you would only get taxed on that. But if you buy in your individual name, you get taxed on the whole nine hundred pounds rent. But if you buy as a limited company, you can claim that four hundred pounds tax and mortgage off your tax bill. Oh right, so it's about being a little savvy there. Yeah, so it's the structure Trading how you in. set up. Okay. Yeah. Cool. There. So it's tax and um, problem tenants. And, and solicitor it? fees was the final one, I believe. The final part of yeah. that trio. Yeah, solicitor fees. It's only about seven hundred pounds. <laughs> I don't know what solicitor. I don't know what solicitor you're using. <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, and there. So and also we, when we buy from distressed sellers, um, we pay for their solicitor fees, but we um, take that off our offer so it actually doesn't cost us any money in terms of legal fees right cool fair enough so that's a really comprehensive answer to that hope that's helped Jazz. really good question by the way because i think probably a lot of people tend to yeah, think yeah. that to themselves about property actually so that's a good question Jazz. um then we've got victoria michelle um oh there's i'm just reading this question there's layers to this question there's about four here <laughs> Uh, <laughs> do, I, do, I get, do I get CPD points? <laughs> yeah. So Victoria Michelle, a little shout out for Victoria Michelle. She has asked, what type of buy-to-let mortgage would you use, a repayment or interest-only one, and why? 
Excellent question. Um, so it all depends on your strategy. So if you want to buy numerous properties, then you want maximum cash flow. So you'd want interest only because you don't want to pay the debt off. Um, and then you can use less money and then you can buy more properties. If you're a investor who only wants one or two properties for a better pension pot, then it's probably going to be better for you to get capital uh, repayment and interest so you can pay the debt off. So you've got two properties mortgage free at, when you come to retire. So, yeah, if you're looking at maximizing your income, go for interest only. If you're looking for a better pension pot, go for repayment and interest. Oh, nice one. So it's a pretty black and white kind of answer to yeah. that one then, really? Oh, that's not often you get that in finance, is it? Yeah. A clear, concise, clean-cut answer. Lovely job, Lee. More of yeah. those, please. Oh, okay. This is a nice question, actually. So this is from Josh Evans. And this is one that's very pertinent to our current circumstances. So this is a goodie, actually, Josh. Well done. Uh, Josh wants to know, is now a good time to think about investing in holiday let property, given the recent boom in staycations? I really like that. I think that's good. Yeah. Yes and no. So oh, depending. Okay. <laughs> so yes, definitely stay vacation is going to go on the up. And we're actually looking at a project at the moment that I'm invested in. So you got to have a look. Say, so mate, can you get tenants all year round or um, oh, people yeah, visiting the property? So. If you've got a rush season for summer only and it's empty for, I don't know, three quarters of the year, then you're going to wipe out any profit you make in your peak times That's with really the yeah. time. Yeah. So you need to have a look at, yeah, it may be, you, you can still get certain properties that will rent out throughout the year. So you need to pick wisely and carefully that you can rent it for at least 11 months out or 12. It seems like it might be a bit of a headache then because you have to think about who you're getting in week on week two and your returns aren't necessarily that great. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people do Airbnb, but it's quite time consuming, a lot of expenses, cost. Yeah. you've got factoring the cleaning, washing, all that kind of stuff. That's true. Yeah. Fair enough. So maybe uh might be a good idea to give the staycation houses a bit of a wipe. Yeah, especially if it's your first, if you're new to property, stick to the bread and butter, buy to let, simple family renting it. Okay, good answer. Fair enough. Right, next we've got, next up we've got Peter Doyle. For someone in their early 30s trying to make the big decision before 40, would you advise practice property or trading or investment? It's somewhat linked to what we've said before, but... Peter's just chucked the op the possibility of buying practice in there as well. Peter has also said his main focus is on quality of life. Obviously, money helps here, um, but he wants to be able to spend time with his growing family. So, yeah, that's putting another little slant or a twist on it that's probably going to be relevant. So what's your thoughts on that one, Harry? Yeah, I'm a big believer in business and property. Um, buying your own business, well, obviously, I take it's going to be a dental practice, Especially for the early years, you're going to be working 18 hours a day, slugging your guts out there. So if you want family time, maybe a business is not going to be the best choice. Yeah, And it may be investing or property that you can do where I say work once, get paid forever. So you're making passive income in the background. So you can take more time off work. You're not reliant on your dentistry. So you can spend more family time. Um, and I always say to people, Business and property is going to make you good money, and and I always I never say 
it's either or do both if you can yeah absolutely but, sorry were you finished on that one was it there something you so, so yeah but uh, so yeah his question was obviously about family time and then business probably not going to be the best option if he wants to spend more family time yeah fair enough the uh the little part where you threw in about your family there peter yeah that's very relevant and i suppose that kind of harry's given you a good answer there um hinged on what you've said i suppose which is great and next thing we've got amir imtiaz and amir would like to know oh we've actually just covered this which is quite helpful so you it was you when we discussed earlier about purchasing a property under your own name or as a limited company so Am I right in saying, if I understood what you said correctly earlier, Harry, that if possible, it's always a good idea to buy it under a limited company name? Yes, yes and no. So obviously, oh, first, always. we're not okay. qualified to give financial advice. So obviously, speak yeah. to your accountant. Yes, none of us are. Small each, disclaimer. Should have said that yeah, at the yeah, start. But yeah, that's yeah. quite right. So it depends on your personal circumstances. So yeah, the, the benefits of a limited company is you get the tax relief of your mortgage payment. It's, as you know, with the limited company, it's much harder to get your money out. With buying your own name, you can um, get your money out a lot quick, easier, with less tax, but then you can't claim the mortgage interest of your um, profit. So there's pros and cons with each one. See, because from what, if I go back to uh, business studies class, which was a long time ago for me, I recall that a limited company it's a separate legal entity and that would mean that you have to pay yourself a wage from that company to be able to withdraw the funds and you obviously can't withdraw you can't pay yourself such a wage as to totally bankrupt the company yeah yeah so therefore yeah. you've got this extra layer or obstacle before you can actually get your hands on what you've put into it is that the reason why then yeah, so you've got can dividends. You, yeah, you can pay up to, I think, about 8500 per year without the extra tax. Anything more than that, you're going to get dividends tax, corporation tax. And also, don't forget, with a limited, it's a pub, in the public domain, it's going to be on company's house. So if you did want to be more private, not let anyone know what you're doing, then limited company may not be the best option either as well. What about if you've got your company in the British Virgin Islands where you are right now, Harry? <laughs> yeah that's exemption yeah <laughs> you can do a time how Harry lives out, it's yeah. just sometimes yes yeah well played well played harry um right and the amir mtaz has also asked another question oh this is a good one actually i like this um again maybe slightly difficult to answer so if it is feel free to say amir has said as i suppose as a rule of thumb what would you classify as a good return on investment annually in the current market in yeah, so yeah, so say six percent gross yield. So that's the annual rent divided by the market value. So that's what I would be going for myself, six percent. Right. And is that yield. is that fairly average, or is that a slightly higher uh, return on investment that you place upon yourself because you have experience in the property market? Yeah, it's a slightly higher level because we want to stress test. Um, obviously, up in for for example, Grimsby, I know you could get fifteen percent gross yield. Whoa, central yeah. london, central london you'd be lucky to get two three percent gross yeah. yield um that's six percent based on common interest rate so if the interest rates went up by or the base rate went up by one percent then i will change that figure to seven percent gross yield so it's not a 
fixed six percent is depending on what the base rate is at the moment right i see fair enough so perhaps it's not as simple as this but uh surely grimsby uh would be a good area to invest in really or for for yeah for cash flow but not for, for capital appreciation yeah because you can oh, get a house okay. for forty thousand pounds you'll come back in 20 years time it'll still be worth forty thousand pounds right i see i see interesting fair enough and then another and it... sorry mate we finished and, uh, and it will smell of fish as well. <laughs> <laughs> you have to bear that in mind. And Amir has just said, um, as well as that, well, we've talked, he's, he wants to know about capital gains tax and how that might affect your income later, uh, further down the line. Uh, do, do you expect there to be an increase in capital gains tax? But we've already said that you, we, we pretty much both unanimously agree and it's looking pretty likely that that is going to go up. As to how much, is difficult to say. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you'd like to add to that, really, Harry. Yeah, so obviously capital gains tax, you, you would only pay once you sold the property. Um, as we said, one, yeah, we're expecting it to go up. But also, don't forget now, since April this year, you have to pay your capital gains tax within 30 days of selling a property. So just be really wary of that. Interesting. Yeah. And would capital gains not apply if you were earning over 12300 in terms of uh, as rent every year? Um, so there's two types of tax you would pay in property. One is income tax, oh, which you pay on so the, ha- the rental profits. Oh, I didn't know that. So it actually falls under income tax. Yeah. So rental profits. Yeah. yeah. So rent. Yeah. Rental profits will fall under income tax. It's only when you sell a property you would pay capital gains tax. Every person has an allowance per year, so I think it's about twelve thousand at the moment. So the first twelve thousand per year will be free from capital gains tax per person. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Okay, and one final question for Amir Imtiaz. Amir Imtiaz has been a source of a lot of inspiration for me and Harry tonight. This is really interesting. He's really driven the conversation. So shout out to you, Amir. Thank you so much. Final question. What is an ideal property for uh, you to per- what, what, what would you consider the ideal property in terms of purchasing Harry in terms of a return on investment, I suppose, is what Amir's getting at. And he said, student-let, HMOs, of which I'm, I've never heard of before, city flats, suburban, semi-detached. Uh, what would you, is there kind of a hot sector or something that you specialize in or you particularly think is a good investment? Yeah, so I go for the first-time buyer market, which is normally two to three-bedroom terrace houses. So... I find what I f- the first time buyers, if they can't afford to buy the house, they want to live in the house near good schools. So it's a young couple, couple of young kids at the local school. And what I find is they look after the properties. They've got two income streams coming in. Their kids are at the local school. So they actually end up staying with me for about seven or eight years because they don't want to move because the kids are, they want to change the kids' schools. Um, See, and yeah. also... If I need to sell that property because the first-time buyer market wants that property, it's going to normally be quite a quick sale because they've got no chain. Um, I tend to stay away from flats and apartments because you've got service charge that eats away into your profit, ground rent. There's no flexibility in terms of creating extra rooms or extending the property. Also, what I find, you get more temporary tenants. Um, it may be the cynic in me, but you normally get a young couple that are living together for the first time. 
realize after three months they hate each other's habits, separate, stick <laughs> that, and then move out after six months. You've got to find more tenants yeah, there. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> it, it happens. We'll just say that, shall we? It happens. But yeah, so, you're quite, you're quite yeah. right. I suppose um, uh, tenant selection is definitely a big factor, something that you think about. Yeah, the first time buyers are the biggest market. They can move in quickly to buy or to rent. They want to live in a house. They've got kids and they've got the local schools. Awesome. Brilliant. Hope that's answered your question, Namir. And I'm really sorry about this, Omar. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about this, Harry. But I've just spotted at the bottom of the page that Omar has asked another question. But I think it's a quickie and I think it's one that we've already covered. Do you think there is going to be a property price crash? We we suspect that it might be likely when when uh, yes. uh, at the end of January, just as you said earlier. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because of the artificial inflation, the interest rates, we are due a slump in the market. Uh, mm. No one knows obviously how severe and how deep it's going to be and how long it's going to be, but I do expect some correction in the property market. Okay, so it might be worth thinking about, Omar. Okay, cool. Well, anyway, thank you so much to Harry on behalf of me, on behalf of everybody who's listening. He's been absolutely wonderful. I think we're just scratching the surface of Harry's knowledge perfectly because that was amazing. Those were <laughs> There was a few points that I was lost there. The people out in, who are watching who know a lot more about property than me will have been able to follow it, I'm sure. And you know what? Even if you don't know the first thing, there's a huge amount you can take away from this and certainly things that I'll be bearing in mind uh, if and when I ever do get around to buying a house. Harry, is there anything that you'd like to say just to round things up? No, no, no. Thank you again, James, for the invitation. Fantastic group. As I said, there's no right or wrong way in terms of investing. It's obviously become an expert, become a master, become focused, disciplined, learn the tr- trade, learn the content, stick with it, be determined. But yeah, in all, with everything, it always goes back to your why. Why are you doing it? And you need to invest because obviously it's limited money, how much you can earn with your own hands. Time-wise, it's what you do with the money that's probably more important and how much money you make at the beginning. Brilliant. Yeah, I think, I think investing, certainly something that I've had my eyes open to since I began investing is just how much I honestly think it should be a life skill for everybody. Yeah. Because we all have, most of us have some spare cash and that cash can be put to work with relatively little effort in certain specific ways that it is very likely to grow over time. One of those ways you can do that is stocks. Another one way you can do that is commodities, gold, things like that. Another way you can do that is crypto and something that is a little bit safer. There is the saying, of course, safest houses is where Harry comes in and that's houses. Yeah, definitely. And as it's a long-term game, so it's not like, as I said, keep on saying, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's a healthy mentality to have, not just specifically with houses, but with anything. So finally, just for anybody who didn't catch it at the start, it's Dental Property Club. Uh, You can find it on Google. You can find it on the internet. Uh, If you were to get in touch with them, Harry will, of course, be there to greet you. He'll talk you through how you can expect him to help you. Harry, anything else you'd like to say on Dental Property Club? It is, of course, your company, your area of expertise. Yeah, so yeah, any any members of the group, feel free to private. I am in the Investor James's group, so you can private message me if you've got any specific questions that you want to ask in private. That's fine. 
I'm happy to answer anyone's questions um, listening to the podcast. Nice one. And of course, this podcast is going out to the world, so there may not even be people who are on the group. So if you didn't <laughs> want to join the group, it's on Facebook. It's called Dentists Who Invest, Community Group for Dentists Who Enjoy Trading. I very much started it with the ethos of educating dentists on how to invest responsibly. A lot of us do it, but a lot of us don't know how to do it. And there's a lot of knowledge on there. There's a lot of people who know so, so, so much about investing. And there's so many different asset classes. To have that spread, to have that spread of knowledge is really a remarkable thing. And totally unbiased as well, because there's nobody, there's no advertising on there. There's nothing like that. It's just a community group. That's what it is. That's what it always will be. It's for dentists to get together and discuss things of that nature. And I think it is particularly pertinent or relevant because of what's happening at the minute in the world with COVID. Really, we don't know what's going to happen from day to day. We're on lockdown too. What about if lockdown three happens? What about if we actually go back to when we were in March and none of us could leave our houses? It's possible. I didn't take it seriously until lockdown two came along. Well, I didn't take it seriously, you know, that... uh, any of this could have happened until we found ourselves where yeah. we were. So it's just made us all think that perhaps dentistry, it's not really something that we can rely on as much as we once did. It's a little fragile and it's definitely worth thinking about things, not just for the short term, not just because of COVID, but so that you can have a great quality of life going forwards. And whatever path you go down, whichever path you're interested in, there's hopefully going to be someone on that group will help you. And if you're into property, then Harry will definitely be there to assist in any way that he can. Wonderful. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Harry. Thank you, James. Can I just say, it's been absolutely amazing tonight. I've learned so much. Thank you so much for coming on the very first, the very first episode of Dentals Who Invest podcast. I think the bar has been set quite high. I'm sure everybody who's watching will agree. I'm going to have to do some real uh, legwork to top this one, but I'll see what I can do. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill from here, probably. <laughs> no, I'm sure it won't be our show. I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to your next podcast as well. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, I, I have to have a little think about who I can get on there. If anybody wants to reach out to me, they think that they might be able to do a good uh, podcast, or they like to do a podcast, a collaboration with me on anything that they think might be relevant, then feel free to reach out. Harry, it's been a pleasure. I'll hopefully speak to you again soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, James. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.